Hello, everyone. You should be used to announcements before shows now. I'm doing quite a lot of them, but a few things. First off, I know it's been a bit since the last episode. Uh, we are doing a lot on the back end to get ready for the show's new business model. So Sarah and I have installed a lot of the stuff that we need to make this a membership show where stuff will be going directly to us, as opposed to a Patreon-supported show where stuff goes to us and also a third party takes their cut before, you know, you're able to support us. Uh, that takes a lot of work, but we are plugging away at it, and it will be ready by the end of the month. I've gotten a bunch of messages asking me, hey, where is the button I can click to give you money each month? And don't worry, it will be ready on time. Uh, the other thing, uh, this episode really had to go out today. So I have part four of Iran Contra written, that is going to happen, but I looked at my calendar and I realized, oh my god, July 20th, that's this week, and I had something in my episode planning doc that I wanted to talk about for a long time, and as you'll see, this is the day to do it. So that that ever-elusive series that um, keeps getting the ending pushed out is getting the ending pushed out again, but it will happen. It's next episode, 203. You'll get to hear Oliver North take the fifth, and I don't recall, and all that. That's next time. But for now, here's something a bit more uplifting. Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Today should be a holiday. Today, July 20th, is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Humans set foot on something other than Earth for the first time, and I am frankly perplexed as to why we haven't marked this with some kind of national or international celebration. We went to the moon, and it's not a holiday. That's so incredibly strange to me. You can probably name two of the astronauts on Apollo 11. Everyone knows Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. But while they walked on the moon, someone had to stay behind. And today, I want to talk about the member of Apollo 11 who didn't set foot on the lunar surface but was instrumental to that mission's success, and who had another kind of achievement, an achievement in heretofore unknown solitude. Michael Collins piloted the Columbia, the craft that took Armstrong and Aldrin's lunar lander to the moon and later picked it up and brought it back to Earth. In doing so, Collins became the most isolated person in human history and also something of a forgotten figure. You probably know the basics of how Apollo 11 took off. There was a great big rocket that zoomed upward, and as it did, the parts of it, the propulsion system that took it into and out of Earth's atmosphere, gradually came off. That great big rocket eventually became much smaller. At the front of it were the really important parts. There was the lunar lander, known as the Eagle, that 
Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong would actually ride down to the moon and would eventually take off from the moon. There was also the Columbia, the craft that would deposit that lunar lander onto the moon and later on come back and pick them up as the lunar lander by itself would not be able to get back to Earth or land successfully. Collins was the one who was piloting the Columbia, the craft that would deposit and pick up the lunar lander. While Armstrong and Aldrin walked on the moon's surface, Collins would orbit the moon in the Columbia. Orbiting the moon, though, meant that he would regularly be on the far side of it, and while on the far side of the moon, he would be out of radio contact. And I don't just mean radio contact with his fellow astronauts. He would also be out of radio contact with the entire rest of humanity. His trips to the far side of the moon lasted 48 minutes, and during each of those 48-minute trips, Collins would be the most isolated human in all of history up to that point. During those trips, Collins saw daylight, starlight, and moonlight, night and day, all in a space of less than an hour. He saw the sun blazing in the sky, bright as it is during Earth's day. He saw the Earth hanging in the heavens, with both the night and day side visible to him. He saw the moon beneath him and next to him, larger than he'd ever seen it before on Earth, with the sun's light reflecting off of its pale surface. And then, as he went to the far side of Earth's nearest neighbor, he saw a night that no human had ever seen before. A night different from what we see on Earth. He did not see the night that happens when the Earth turns away from the sun, but the night that happens when the moon does. He saw a sky that a human being standing on Earth just can't see, and he was alone in the dark. The nearest two humans were on the other side of the celestial body he was rotating around. The whole of humanity, minus three people, was even further away on planet Earth. He was alone, profoundly and truly alone, floating in space. When asked about his experience, Collins said he didn't feel lonely in those 48-minute time periods. Instead, he said he felt awareness, anticipation, satisfaction, confidence, almost exultation. In total, Collins was alone in the Columbia for 22 hours, orbiting the moon and regularly becoming one of the most singular human beings in all of existence. Later on, years later in fact, Collins revealed that he was afraid during this time. But he wasn't afraid of the vastness of space. He wasn't afraid for himself or of the dark. He wasn't afraid of the new night sky he saw when he went to the opposite side of the moon. He was afraid, rather, for the safety of his fellow astronauts, the two men who weren't with him. There was a very real possibility that Armstrong and Aldrin 
would not survive their time on the moon. All kinds of things could happen. The lander could crash, their suits could malfunction, or they could encounter some unforeseen hazard. But what he was most worried about was that the lunar lander, the Eagle, would not be able to take off. Obviously, it had been impossible to test that craft on the moon. And if Armstrong and Aldrin weren't able to ascend, Collins wouldn't be able to pick them up with his craft, the Columbia. He would be forced to not only orbit the moon alone, but return to Earth alone as well, while his colleagues died on an airless rock. Collins was an extraordinarily experienced pilot, but obviously this was a wholly new experience for him. He had never picked up a lunar lander with a spaceship before, and was not sure of his success. He gave himself a 50-50 chance. In those moments of isolation and gaming out how he was going to pick up his fellow astronauts, Collins wrote notes to himself. One of his notes read, quote, My secret terror for the last six months has been leaving them on the moon and returning to Earth alone. Now I am within minutes of finding out the truth of the matter. If they fail to rise from the surface or crash back into it, I am not going to commit suicide. I am coming home forthwith. But I will be a marked man for life, and I know it. Unquote. Michael Collins was not the only person who was ready for Aldrin and Armstrong to not make it back. Richard Nixon, in fact, had a speech ready in the event that they did not make it. That speech read in part, quote, Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery, but they also know there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. Unquote. Obviously, that didn't happen. The eagle not only landed, but flew. Aldrin and Armstrong were able to successfully take off with their lunar lander and rendezvous with Collins. The three of them returned to Earth together, splashing down into the Pacific Ocean. The moon landing might be the single largest media event in human history. 600 million people watched it together on Earth or listened to it on the radio. Collins, however, did not. A glitch meant that he wasn't able to be in contact with his fellow astronauts during the big moment. While humanity was at its most united, Collins was uniquely alone. At the very moment that so much of the human population was doing the same thing, had a single concern, was feeling the same feeling we also achieved something else. The single most isolated person of all time, who was not even able to listen to his colleagues stepping onto the moon on his radio. I should note that as of this recording, Michael Collins is still alive. He is 78 years old and still speaks about his experiences with Apollo 11. He does not seem to have any bitterness about Armstrong and Aldrin being 
more famous than him. In fact, fame, I don't think, was the goal of those astronauts. Neil Armstrong did not like being famous, and he always felt uncomfortable when people put him at the center of the Apollo mission. Armstrong knew as much as anyone else that tens of thousands of people were responsible for what he did, and whenever he was portrayed as a lone hero, he apparently got very, very uncomfortable. Aldrin, however, does seem to kind of like being famous, and I can't blame him. After all, he did go to the moon. But I want to read something to you. It's something that you've probably heard before. In 1994, Carl Sagan reflected on a photograph of Earth taken by Voyager 1, and that photo is now known as the pale blue dot. Sagan's reflection, which often accompanies the photo, is also known as the pale blue dot. In the photo, you can barely see our world. In fact, if you didn't know that Earth was in the picture, you'd probably think it was just a photo of dust and light. Of this photo of what looks to be shimmering dust, Sagan said, quote, We succeeded in taking that picture from deep space. And if you look at it, you see a dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives. The aggregate of all our joys and sufferings, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species, live there, on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. Unquote. Fifty years ago, we reached slightly further than that moat of dust. In July of 1969, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong reached out and walked upon Earth's nearest moat of dust. Meanwhile, Michael Collins flew further out into our sunbeam. Happy Apollo 11 Day. Four, three,